Yeah, yesterday we had an air quality advisory or something. Like, poor air quality. But you wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> we are not. Seriously, what the fuck, Abe? <laughs> I have an airtight alibi. <laughs> you, your alibi is that you worry. were in Canada. I'm, I'm going to take care of it for you with the open. Don't worry. I got you. You're my boy. Don't worry. Oh, always watching out. I'm sure you are. Here we are, Abe. Cast Iron Brains. A podcast that would like to clarify that any comments made last week about any non-specific co-hosts possibly traveling to a foreign country for a pleasure visit were strictly of a satirical or perhaps even theoretical nature made for entertainment purposes only and do not reflect the actual travel itineraries of any of the hosts of this or any other legally unaffiliated but understandably associated podcasts, including but possibly not limited to The Buffer, more commonly known as The Biffler, and that, therefore, it would be not just preposterously false but likely defamatory and even libelous to imply or suggest or intimate that a certain unnamed co-host could conceivably be responsible to any legally actionable degree for the wildfires that have ravaged French Canada since this past Friday and for the associated smoke from those fires blanketing and choking much of the eastern half of the United States the past few days. A podcast that instead would like to point out that coincidences happen all the time and that any persons who might express what is definitely detached ironic amusement in character at structure fires or alleged arsons that happen within easy, some might even say sparking distance of those co-hosts, they should in no way be implicated in any damage to personal or public property or the ecosystem of a third of the globe. As this podcast's attorneys have made clear, any public airing of criminal suspicions by the few morally debased character assassins who might be in our vast audience would be outrageous, egregious, and preposterous, and met with the fiercest punitive, retributive, and vituperative legal action that can be ethically mustered by our highly qualified legal representatives. A podcast that will take no further questions on the fires in Quebec or anywhere else, especially the greater Atlanta metro area for that matter. How dare you! My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host, that's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Safe and sound in these United States. Lori's here too. How you doing tonight, Lori? That was probably my favorite little opening you've ever done. When did you write it? That's how Lori's doing. Tonight is Wednesday. <laughs> June the 7th, 2023. I wrote that opening while uh, waiting for our children to finish swim practice this afternoon. Not oh. right before the show started. I punched it up right before the show started. Oh, gave it gave nice. it that Jackie Childs flavor at the end. You could you could start all shows like that. It could always be nice. I can't always be doing uh, the yes, legal legwork of keeping Abe out of uh, <laughs> jeopardy. That's true. That's no, every that single attitude week. You certainly can't, but whatever. Also, I uh, I would not read too much into the coincidence uh, of uh, my being there when the fire started. I have a pretty airtight alibi. Seven other, six other people were with me the whole time. I don't know. Yeah. And I'm a heavy sleeper, so when would I be able to do it? The various receipts at various adult establishments, no doubt. <laughs> they weren't all adult establishments. <laughs> airtight, huh? 
not paid for just in whatever cash was handy, but uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, good times. I'm sure you had nothing to do with those fires, and I will, nope. we will we will brook absolutely no implication otherwise. Uh, quite a thing, though, if you've seen those photographs it's coming crazy. out of, uh, especially New York City. It's apparently real bad. We had a air quality warning here. There's some sort of scale uh, where it gets bad at like 100 or so, and then ours was up to 153, which puts us into the... If you're exposed for too long, it's unhealthy range, apparently. So Bob's mom logically spent all day outside breathing in gravel. Yeah. yeah. Not quite dangerous, according to this chart that I found, but but still not good. How long is this uh, thing hanging around? It's, it's already better today here. Okay. It's going to depend on the wind. Oh, hopefully it doesn't wind down Atlanta. Julia's going to Montreal tomorrow. Oh, and nice. the air quality there, she like looked up on the thing, totally fine. Yeah, it's moved on by now. The worst of the fires being over, I think. Anyway, I said I was sitting there waiting for our children's swim practice to end, but that's not quite right. They joined the swim team. Still not clear on why. Uh, because their <laughs> friends like do swimming. it. Yeah. yeah, sure. People like swimming. This is a good opportunity to make them really strong swimmers, even yeah, if they don't it's win anything. the most cost and time efficient way to get them swimming lessons. Right. I was complaining about the, the ludicrous $240 that we had to shell out to get them on this team. But what that comes with is not just the ability to uh, go to these swim meets for six straight weeks starting next Wednesday, I think. But it's also an hour of or 45 minutes of pool time every single uh, five days a week. So they can go and swim laps for 45 minutes uh, every single day this summer, which that's really what you're buying with that $120, I think. I assume uh, the people to teach them how to swim. Yeah, sure, and the coaches and whatnot. I assume the uh, that means that the baseball season has come to an end, like to, to give way oh, for all no. the swimming. Oh no, certainly not. The uh, regular baseball season has ended. Calvin was selected to to play in a postseason tournament. Oh neat! Look at that. <clears throat> sort of really selected because we had said no, and then the lady who runs the league was like, "Uh, so how about I'm gonna need Calvin? How about having him on the team?" And then of course. <laughs> I become an assistant coach on the team, and so now we're back to back to four days a week of baseball. She's a very persuasive person. She's just charming, and it's not. She's not persuasive to me. It's just uh, flattering to my particular sensibilities that like they want Calvin to play more baseball. I was like, ah, yeah. yeah if I you want him no to play that. more baseball, I... it's not persuasive. She just knows how to get me to do things. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like a. Uh, voluntold, what is that expression? You're just voluntold yeah, to do something? that's what it sort of was. Yeah. So yeah, we have that going on as well. This Bob is, is so happy about it. I'm pretty excited. It's fun. I love the fact that we had practice yesterday, our first all-star practice, and <coughs> only now realizing that my throat is not quite up to this. Get a cough drop. I will in a minute. Drinking my fake beer here. Don't want to ruin my fake beer with the cough drop taste. Um... <laughs> First practice of this uh, this all-star tournament run that we're going to be on for the next three weeks. That is some thunder happening out yeah. there. Very surprising. It was not in the forecast at all. These weather people, Abe, you got to... Yes. It's not raining. It's just thunder. I'm not saying that you do have an arson terror campaign uh, out there in the world, but... I don't. If you did, I would imagine that your Unabomber-style rantings 
the the what do they call that the, the uh, manifesto the, um, the manifesto that you would post <laughs> online that the the news networks would be very shy about pointing people towards afterwards would be directed at the Sam Champion and the 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 other uh, national newsmen of our great nation because of their failings yes. You were talking about baseball. Anyway, back to baseball. All these kids wanted to be there. And, like, we were there for – it was a two-hour practice and 12 kids on the team. We had 12 kids engaged and trying and paying attention on every single moment that we were there for two hours. And it was an intense practice. Like, it wasn't – like, you watch a baseball game and there's not a lot of shit going on the entire time. No. We broke into three groups for every single one of the drills so that we had four kids basically constantly doing stuff, right? I showed up at some point to pick up Katie and, like, everything was very intense. Really? Everyone was really serious about what they were doing. (laughs) What was that – that infomercial from back in the day. Remember they, they, they would be selling this uh, VHS. The Tommy Mansky videos <laughs> with uh, Fred McGriff as the pitch man. And his, right. as I recall, it was just a blank blue cap that he would wear in, with a blank blue T-shirt. Yeah. Because he couldn't be an official like MLB spokesperson endorsing it. It yeah, was just uh, up up, like yeah. some side cash for Fred on the from the Mansky people. But yeah, it was those sorts of kids like who just want to play baseball and want to do it well. And like on our team, usually through the season – you might have three of those kids out of 12 who want right. to be there. But then all of those, the three who are engaged are the ones who get asked to be on the on the all-star team. So it's like this is no wonder that these kids – because you watch our games for the past couple of months and you're like, man, none of these assholes can – like this doesn't look like a baseball game at all except like <laughs> once every third inning a baseball play happens. Uh are they just lollygagging around or just they're... I mean, yeah, they're kicking the grass and Baseball's they've... boring. They're turned around half the time or they're playing in the dirt. Calvin's team Calvin's wasn't. team was different. We were mostly much better engaged at the at the major league level, but the, the minors kids especially don't pay any attention. But right. still, it, there's a just a vast difference between the 12 kids in this group versus the 12 kids even on Calvin's team. But yeah, that, that should be fun. It's... Three pri- and what's cool about it is that we're not going to make this tournament or whatever. But so we play a tournament in two weeks, and then if you win that whole deal, then you go to the state finals. Oh! And if you win the state finals, you go to fucking what is it called? Williamsport. Williamsport. Uh, no like kidding. To the Little League this is a World feeder Series. into yeah. that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So this is like an official. Yeah, like you said, feeder right into that. Now, not. Not the main tournament that they have there. That's for 11 and 12 year olds. We are a uh, uh, eight to 10 year old All Star League team, so we wouldn't be on ESPN or anything like that. Oh, but, uh, it was st- it would still be fun. You would have to we get won't Calvin get to that anyway. So yeah. don't be too sad. Yeah, we're yeah, hearing this, the legend of this 10 year old kid in one of the uh, one of our other city teams uh, that we're going to have to play to get through, and it's like fucking hearing Goliath stories. He's like six and a half feet tall. He throws 85 miles an hour. Nobody's got a hit off him since he was four years old or something. Yeah, and he's only 10. 10? Yeah, and now the rain's coming down. These fucking weather people, man, not to be trusted. tromping around. So, yeah, baseball, swimming five days a week, baseball three or four days a week. Things have not slowed down around here, and school is finally ending now this week, uh, tomorrow is the last full day. Friday, they're done for the summer. 
Calvin's going to cry. Calvin's going to weep like a, just a, I don't even know what, like a 10-year-old boy apparently leaving the fourth grade. Oh, yeah, big fan of the fourth grade? It's just a big change. Like the elementary school only goes to the fourth grade, so he's oh, got to move up okay, to Oh, okay, that's a different, okay, gotcha. It's more, he's more sad to leave this school than, like, leaving fourth grade or going to a new school. Like, it's, you know, this is his little place. Right. So was it K through four? How many people do they house in this school? K, K it's through K four? through, it's pre-K through the fourth grade, but the pre-K is needs-based, and most of the kids show up in kindergarten, and then... Is that your Google talking to you or something? Yeah, that's weird. It's give me an answer about school. Wow, that's weird. Uh, we're not always listening. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's a five. He's been there for five years, and shut up, Google. What a stupid robot. All right. I, um, Be nice to the robot. What sort of an asshole asks their Google to define school anyway? That shouldn't even be in the feature list. What is That's it? true. Some answers are not – some questions simply should not be answered. There should be a – what are you asking me for, you fucking idiot? I know you speak English as a first language. You know what school is. Anyway, new school, he said. We had whatever. a big – they had their big – like it's called a moving up ceremony, they call it, where they – all of the fourth graders come outside on the graduation. It's basically a little mini graduation, and all the parents show up, and the kids come out and they stand. They they sit in some chairs arranged a in front of, of them. Awards. They give out so many awards to the point where I think in excess of sixty percent of the fourth grade received an award at that I think so. ceremony. I did anyone not? It was a lot of kids, and then they were like, I don't know, my bad brain objected to the uh there was one award in particular for minority students only oh which was i know i can't say that it's condescending because i'm not a minority right <laughs> but to me and and by the way not that this matters but the school is either nearly majority minority or or a pretty near a 50 50 yeah. split i would right. say i didn't i didn't count heads or anything like that but I don't know what it means necessarily to be a minority in that particular context, uh, but of course but we. Yeah, you're right. That doesn't matter because it's still minority status. It's just not in the school. Sure, it but, just doesn't narrow it down. I don't know why they. Is it's not like a, all of the awards are like you know whitest kid. Yeah, right. Like the yeah. awards are very. <laughs> the one Calvin got though. All of the awards are very clearly designed to not just reward particular academic achievement a lot of its growth but yeah like it's all a bunch of growth and improvement awards and and like character stuff and this one kid speaking of character this kid did the opening like welcome yeah 10 years old or something just natural on stage really just, hey Knocked everyone it out of the park. nice yeah. to see you here we're really glad you were able to make it so here's our ceremony yeah. Nice. Just like that, that kid. He's gonna be. He'll be going host, places. He'll be hosting Milf Manor uh, before he's twenty five. <laughs> I'm sure. Total natural. Uh, yeah, like I, I just didn't under. I felt weird about the singling out of this award is for minorities only 
when they'd already given out half a dozen awards to uh, Hispanic or black kids. Like it wasn't it wasn't like the whites were running the table until we got to the right. It's just whatever. Uh, Now's not the time to worry about that. Literally titled minority like this. uh, It was something. It was an award given to something something minority something. Okay. But whatever. I mean, whatever. There were, and then there was also there's the dead kids portion of the graduation ceremony where we all had to get weepy about that too. There are like, dead kids. Yeah, there are dead kids. So one of the awards was such and such the dead kid who died five years ago. This we, isn't. We were around then. Right. This is an award in his honor, and it honors. Oh, okay, gotcha. Something along those lines, and then there's okay. another one. It was the ESL. It was the English language learners. Right, because there was some kid who died a few years ago who English was his second language or he grew up in a multilingual household or something. So there was an award for that. And then like, yeah, whatever. It was a very weepy, emotional thing because the principal is moving on also. So she got all weepy at the end of the thing. And then they turn the kids around and have them sing the school alma mater, like the the alma mater, the the fight song or whatever they have there. And it's just, you know, hail to blah, 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 whatever the okay. fuck. As Calvin turns around and they start going into this song, his face breaks, like, within the first three seconds of the song. And he's just sobbing uncontrollably as his classmates sing the alma mater around it's him. It's hard to not laugh. Uh, and it you was... are not allowed to laugh at someone doing that. <laughs> right. But holy shit, is it hard to not laugh when it's your kid. You know he's okay. Right. But, like... He's just so, and it's just so fucking funny. <laughs> was he alone? At it. Was he alone in this crying, or are the kids? Uh, I didn't notice anyone, anyone else crying. crying. Yeah. I mean, this is a, a very severe "be true to your school" instinct that he's got. I think he <laughs> is a <laughs> well, true joiner. Uh, he's just a joiner. Go dogs. Go brave. Yeah. yeah. He's also an idiot who stubbed his toe while walking across a flat sidewalk uh, pool deck today. You know, it's easy to stub your toe into a table leg or, uh, you know, on the corner of something as you're walking around your house. Sort of, tup, you know, something with height. But to stub your toe and rip floor. off a chunk of your, your, your big toe skin just on flat ground requires such another level of, of it's just physical laziness. uncoordination. He can't even pick his feet up. Anyway, that's so he didn't even get to do swim practice today because he's bleeding profusely from an open wound on his wow. toe, so he couldn't get in the pool with the other kids. Anyway, good times. How about Canada, Abe? Tell us about your trip. Canada was great. Uh, we had a lot of fun in uh, Montreal. Uh, very nice looking city. If you're into that sort of thing, they have like a part of the city. I didn't know, by the way, that Montreal was an island. We took a walking tour oh. and. Uh, they brought that up. I had to like look it up on the Google Maps, and uh, they were right. It's all did you, surrounded by water. How did? You, where's the airport? Somewhere, you know. Oh. But do you cross? Do you? So you fly into? <laughs> do you fly over the water into Montreal, and then so, you are on the island, or do you fly elsewhere and then have to cross a body of water? It is. It is to be. Uh, to be clear, barely an island. Like you know, like the the. the it's not like, like the New body York of water. Is an island? Yeah, but even worse than that, it's like it's like there's on one side there's like the Lawrence River or something. There's like one side there's like actually some water. Is this like an L.A. River situation where they just have like a drainage ditch and they're like, yeah, we're an island? 
<laughs> Maybe, but it's like very. That would very be some thin, fucking but... bullshit French Canada stuff. They dig, they dig a new sewer, and they're like, "Ah, oh, we're an island now. We're just like New York City." See? So <laughs> going from uh, Atlanta, which, uh, going from Atlanta to Montreal uh, was kind of jarring because Atlanta is like so poorly planned. Like there's no yes. thought into anything. It's just mm-hmm. like, all right, figure it out. Uh, no. We're gonna have like subway or marta station that takes you to the airport and that's it and you you know there are if you walk uh somewhere on the sidewalk sidewalk just ends like all right you're right. now on the street figure it out over there everything yeah. is like design like there was like it's some sort of older. urban yeah there was some sort of urban planning it kind of reminded me of dc like where it's just like very like all well, right that's, these so you older love cities you love a good city Aiden. yes you really do yeah. yeah cities are great Cities are great when they were built long enough ago. And you live in one of the you live in one of the dumber cities in it our is country. Like maybe uh. the worst city because it was I don't know what Atlanta's problem is, but like the good cities were designed without cars in mind. Yes. Yes. And then, like, sort of adapted to the cars, kind of. Right. Yes. Well, um, Atlanta didn't really come around until yeah. there was uh, established there was, interstate interstate car culture. I saw a really interesting picture of like old Atlanta, like pre cars, and now like there were buildings. It was like a real city, yeah. and now it's just parking lots. Well, no, yeah, the most important the most important feature of Atlanta is the fact that seventy five and eighty five cross in the middle, and two eighty five goes around it. It's like that. That's the main that's, sort of yeah yeah feature it, it, that everyone and I twenty cuts through the middle of that like and that's that's the whole thing that's all of city. Atlanta. I spent uh, half of my time in Montreal just pointing at things like why can't we fucking do this thing like they would have dedicated like bike lanes like and I mean dedicated they would actually have like something some sort of barrier so you can't right. just have some asshole driving yeah. through it. Uh, just everything just made sense. Uh, and I, I fly back to Atlanta and like literally at the international airport to get to like the parking deck, you have to ride a bus and there was some sort of issue with traffic, obviously. And so we, ha- it was going to take us like three hours to get to our parking deck, which Jesus was less Christ. than a mile away. And right. yeah. we, everybody's just like, oh, well, you don't go out there. Like as, as if it's like some sort of dangerous terrain, like, oh. And so we right, went like a, out there. A twenty minute a twenty minute walk is absolutely out of yeah. out of out of question. Right, but the reason why is because fourteen of those twenty minutes uh, is you are facing oncoming traffic. There is no other yeah. way to go. You have yeah. to go through that. So like, yeah. So Montreal, they got it right. I will say though, uh, stubbornly French. Uh, just. <laughs> Enough with your silly language. Everybody's speaking English. Let's, uh, you know, they go out of their way to like force this uh, French language on people. Uh, and isn't that like seventy percent of the French character is to be stubbornly French? <laughs> yes, like I they, think that's yeah. that's no, that's their whole thing. The two the the two uh, great uh, parts of the weekend was one. Uh, so your Catholics, Bob. Oh boy, well, a bunch of assholes. They were uh, during the walking tour. They're explaining how. The Catholics were back in the day. They were just fucking people up. Uh, but they built also a Notre Dame Basilica thing. This very nice church, right? And I'm sure. Beautiful, yeah. The stubbornly French Canadians are also stubbornly against religion. So they're keeping all of the religious buildings, but they're like, enough of this religious stuff, right? And so they turned their Notre Dame thing into some sort of entertainment thing. So like there's this light show that they do for like 30 minutes. Nice. If you go to this 
Oh, Julia told me about that. Yeah. That sounds awesome. It is awesome. I was like, this should be church. Like, literally, I would go to church every week if they just had this little thing. You would see, like, these weird mopey, like, Christian characters on the side, you know, like the, how they do. Uh, and it's just fun. It's like 30 minutes and then of on, just uh, fun. On, on Tuesday and Thursday mornings from 8 to 12, it's an abortion clinic. So, there you go. <laughs> Yeah. And and every other day it's a assisted suicide clinic because that's how they do it in Canada. No, right they, there uh, in the in the Catholic churches. Yeah, they they did a good job there. And the other thing, this is not uh, tied to anything, but I've never done archery before. Archery. Somebody thought like, hey, we got some time to to kill on the Saturday afternoon, so we yeah, a bunch we, of dudes go to Canada. You got to practice archery. It makes sense to me. Fires. It's great. It's like a remote stabbing. You you don't have to get there. What if you <laughs> like the arrows? Like remote stabbing. Yeah. What if you put a flammable material like on the end of one of the arrows and light it on fire just anywhere just don't worry about where i mean it's just, just like a big away. open wooded area over right. there nothing to worry just about away. i don't know what you're talking about but no a great great city uh overall like i, I just want to uh, nail down your trip so you were gone when from uh wednesday, wednesday to sunday right so so then uh the june 2nd friday june 2nd you were in canada correct i was yeah in uh thereabouts right, just, just sure cool <laughs> It was a busy day, actually, now that you mentioned it. It was very, very busy. So I had no time I'm to do sure. anything else. <laughs> but no, uh, overall, so it was arch- great. archery and, uh, and also a well-designed city. Anything else to and say we, about Montreal? We, we hiked. We went to the top of this mountain. I guess they, they, the name of Montreal is like Mount Real. There's some sort of stupid mountain that they named the, the city like, after. I think it's Mount Royal, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so we went to the top of that, and that was fun. Uh, but no. No, uh, the only thing I would say, like I said, a little too Frenchy. Uh, everybody smokes like cigarettes. It's like mm. 1990s. Like cigarettes? Is it 1980 there? It is ridiculous. Yep. Every as yep. soon as you get, we leave, we get out of our uh, hotel, the DoubleTree or whatever, like in downtown Montreal, and then like 30 people just standing outside smoking, like just random people. There are business people. There are like cooks. It's just, it felt like you were just kind of uh, stuck, like from like 30 years ago. It's very odd. Very, but only very, out, only out of doors. Not it's not like yeah, uh, yeah. They don't right. let any sort of thing uh, inside. Well, good. Sounds like a fun trip. No, yeah, one of the better cities I've been to. Like I said, it's very nice, except for all the French. What's the next trip after this? Montreal is done. You have uh, is it? A, are you going to be on a on a boat with your boys? Yes, in like five weeks, going to uh, the, some country called Aruba. Is he actually going to have a yacht? Is that he's going to have a boat? Uh, he'll call it a yacht. <laughs> What's the difference? I don't know. <laughs> but size and expense. I think yachts you can like live on. No, yeah, I don't know. It, it looked like a fancy, but I mean, I'm sure I'll be fine. Although I will, uh, I will say he doesn't listen to this uh, podcast. He's doing this. Uh, he's doing this ask where it's like, oh, on the on the yacht, can we like wear like like coordinate clothing? Which is like, it's like, come on, we got to do this. He wants like some sort of silk. Uh, outfit uh, that everybody wants to wear, and I have to now find some. You know what he's done? What for his fortieth birthday is what? he has he, he has gotten himself hired as the manager of a crew of yachtsmen who are going to be the service crew for some rich asshole's <laughs> yacht. It's some old lady and some old dude who booked a pleasure cruise, and you guys are going to be the uniformed staff for them. Yeah, and he'll sell it to you. It's like, all right, so you guys, you just take the first eight-hour shift, right? And then, you know, the next guy comes on. You get 16 hours of vacation 
every other day. It's going to be great. Don't worry if about I were, it. If I were running that scam, I would tell them this is a local custom. Don't look it up. It would be rude not to. <laughs> yeah, it's in, a, it's in Aruba thing. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> anyway, we should open up the WGAS news bag here. It feels like there's been a few big news items the last couple of days we can blow through here quickly. Uh, especially Biden vetoes a bill getting the student loan forgiveness that had passed. I guess it passed the Senate with the help of a couple of uh, Democrats. I forget the exact arrangement there. But this is an obviously unconstitutional thing that the Supreme Court is likely going to strike down regardless. So this is a sort of silly back and forth news cycle thing happening. And that can tie into very quickly we'll do a Strassman here. It's now time for America's favorite game show. Did Mark Strassman, CBS News's senior national correspondent, get off a good one? Sort of unrelated to the Biden thing, except in subject matter, Strassman went to a college where one year ago, the founder of Snapchat, uh, he was giving the commencement address on graduation day at the Otis College of Art and Design in Los Angeles. Uh, this is the one of the founders of Snapchat. And he announced in his commencement address that he was going to forgive all of the student loan debt that had accumulated by those students there. And uh, Strassman goes back a year later to get the details. In tonight's Eye on America, CBS's Mark Strassman catches up with them one year later. <laughs> Commencement Day last May in L.A. Graduating seniors full of dreams and debt, like Suhei Elias. How much in student loans did you have as you walked into graduation day? Between 60000 to 65000 And Suhei's classmate at the Otis College of Art and Design, Medina Caleb Medina Villanueva. Minor contemporary clay with honors. How much did you owe? Fifty to sixty Their commencement speaker, Snapchat founder, and billionaire Evan Spiegel. You've got everything you Great need decision. to pursue your dreams. Everything, perhaps, but pennies from heaven. What followed was pretty darn close. Thank you. Evan and Miranda, through their Spiegel family fund. And I told my friend, "What are they going to pay our student loans?" Joking around. Their gift will enable you to repay your student loans. My jaw dropped. I was like, what? <laughs> a moment Suhei caught on her cell phone. <laughs> About 70% of college graduates owe student loans. Half of those borrowers still owe $20,000 two decades after entering school. Spiegel's gift in excess of $10 million meant Suhei could focus on her painting. I might have like had to put my dream aside and just like Those are not very good focus paintings. on the loans, but now I'm able to, you know, just do what I love. Kayla had been working at McDonald's. Now she's making ceramics, selling them at art shows. With her student debt paid off, she's paying it forward, looking to teach art in lower income communities. Because I see so much potential there. Would that have been remotely possible if you had a student loan to pay off. No, the bills would be the ones kind of deciding what I did after. Now it's me deciding. If Evan Spiegel watches this story, what would you like to say to him? Just thank you. Just thank you, thank you, thank you. It's, it's a blessing. Without a penny in student debt, their futures are a blank canvas. For I in America, <laughs> I'm Mark Strassman in Los Angeles. 
Hey, did uh, Mark Strassman, CBS News' senior national news correspondent, get off a good one? Yes, he did. Strassman gets off a good one. I I knew he was going to say that. I knew he was going to say that. (laughs) Yeah, saw it coming a mile away. By the way, during the... Also, uh, uh, by the way, before you by the way, I'm going to by the way and say... A uh, blank canvas would be much preferable to uh, <laughs> a couple you. of those paintings that they showcased Art over her shoulder. Art is in the eye of the whatever. You know, how dare you, Bob? Uh, during, uh, while I was definitely not setting fire to anything, uh, last weekend, uh, some of my friends and I, one of my friends goes to um, Columbia, and uh, we're talking about how, like, school is almost kind of like this business where, like, like, he was telling me, like, his professors, they don't give out C's, right? You have to go out, you have to try to fuck up to get a C because they're trying to kind of keep their reputation, like all their little stats to attract more people to pay them ridiculous prices to go to Columbia. Not that Columbia needs any help, but like the scheme is that you don't want to like uh, flunk somebody who's giving you that much money. Not just a not just a business for twenty two year olds, but right. this friend of yours is not some fresh faced yeah, undergrad. Yeah, forty. Yeah, right. This is a forty year old whose ride is being taken care of, no doubt. Yes. by his employer, right. who happens to be the federal government of the United States. Uh, right? Could be. Could be. Yes. <laughs> so it's not just like uh, kids taking out big piles of loans that they have to keep their reputation up for. It's that the the business is serious in terms of continuing education for all of these various masters and, and professional degrees that uh, they want people to go back to school for over and over again. Right. It's and bullshit. so it's all bullshit. Right. And so, like, you know, you know, you're being uh, unkind to the, 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 the person that the uh, Strassman was talking about with the, their art. But, like, if somebody actually did suck at, like, pot, whatever the fuck she was doing, the teacher's not going to tell them, oh, you don't have what it takes for the shit. Right. Like, you're paying me 20 grand a year. So it's, it's, not called, it's not called classical uh, pottery work. It's called contemporary so that it can look like however the fuck you want it to look. And you can just be like, yes, modern art. There it is. I just took a test yesterday, and community college is different, and maybe I should lower my expectations of what their expectations are. Yeah. But, like... I swear I got a solid 80 on my last test, yeah. and it was a 93. Yeah, see? Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think it is. Because they can do anything over okay. grading on a curve. Like, what is that? No. You're just, just, you should, do- it's not a curve. It was yeah. an essay test. Lori, okay. should, Lori should file a protest and say, <laughs> I got way too high a grade on this piece of shit test. I yeah, might. I mean, like, you, you keep it's on hearing what... It's class. I feel like I'm supposed to. Right. Is it just... Is it just purely uh, reactionary hard-assery of me to get mad at that piece by Strassman? Because I'm imagining she's talking about being $60,000 in student loan debt with her minor in contemporary pottery making. Someone and forced working... her to go to school. Someone forced her and and made her go into debt. Sure. But working at McDonald's in her post graduate career uh no longer in school to help make ends meet but now she doesn't have to anymore because she doesn't need to make those student loan payments or what have you like there are kids who didn't take out any loans who were working at mcdonald's yes so that they could i mean not mcdonald's specifically but like they're fucking delivering pizzas or they're waiting tables or they're they're they have second. They're tutoring fucking rotten kids uh, in their art classes or in math to to earn an extra fifty bucks or whatever every week, so that they don't have to end up. So somewhere in that crowd of uh, two thousand people or whatever it was that graduated a year ago from this right. college, 
there are people who elected not to, and I imagine being them and just being absolutely fucking furious at having wasted four years of my life uh, not just taking out the easy money and instead working my way through college. I, it, it just – it's so counter – I know that the – the whole industry is bullshit and it's bad. It's a bad system the way that we have it set up. But I can't help but feel bad for it. It has to be, in my head anyway, just an imaginary person because CBS, of course, didn't seek out anybody for this particular piece uh, who might not have been entirely pleased with this outcome. Uh, but there's got to be those kids out there who are right. not happy about this happening. And also, I mean, you know, obviously, big picture, uh, pursue your dreams, blah, 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 blah. I'm not trying to knock anybody. But like uh, – pretty uh, risky gambit like i mean i, I can't imagine the uh career opportunities for this are like great right like i mean a lot of things would have to break your way to make a living off this right no she went to work at mcdonald's and now with is able to sell shit at craft fairs no there aren't great there's no way that sixty thousand dollars in any way is an investment that's going to pay off right. in the long term out of that, unless you can say, okay, I got some college degree, which is all any college degree is worth, right? right. It's just like that, yeah. I proved that I can do the thing, and now I can what get. What did you do with your college a better degree, job. Bob? Fucking uh, observed and reported as the, the only valid thing to do. Uh, anyway, maybe it is just uh, reactionary bullshit for me to be mad about it, but it, it something about it feels wrong, and it's the same thing that feels wrong about the Biden administration electing. Uh, beyond their purview to just say there's not going to be any more uh, student loan debt. They're uh, just going to forgive this giant pile of student loan debt uh, regardless of what Congress says. And I fully expect the Supreme Court of the United States to say that this is an unconstitutional act. Well, uh, I'll, I actually, I don't know. Uh, you're, you're very certain on this. I I think you're right, but I'm not like 100%. I think it's like a 50-50. I'm sure that they can come up with some bullshit argument as to why they can do it. Uh, but they will likely go in your direction. This uh, what what the twenty thousand or ten thousand for one type of borrower, and then twenty thousand if you're like a Pell Grant recipient. Sure, like, it was it was targeted. It wasn't just what, uh, targeted, a random handout, means, and yeah. it was still like what like four hundred bill. What, what, what was the the total math? Like when I don't you, remember the total money, but it was, it was a gigantic. It was sum a lot of money. Of money. Yeah. Remember, like this was like the compromise. Like they were like, oh, you should just. Uh, like wave all debt or remember like uh, the, the Bernie Sanders wing of the the people they're like and, and this was like the ah uh, this was a nothing just kind of threw this thing and even this is facing very likely defeat right so like all the other right. stuff that people were pushing for wouldn't definitely not have made it a half measure that satisfies absolutely no one right because again there'll be plenty of the people that you were describing earlier like hey I went about it a different way where I actually worked my way through it and blah 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 all right, uh, back to the news bag here. The merger of Live Golf, it's L-I-V Golf, it's supposed to be pronounced Live Golf and the PGA Tour. What do you know about this uh, story maybe before the recent oh, development? This is such a great story because, like, I think it was uh, the lefty, uh, Phil Mickelson, he was like the first. Like, cause I remember the, there was a news drip of Mickelson's on the take and he's, like, doing this thing going siding with the, the the Saudis with their butchering of reporters and whatever right and then like slowly right, but so sure. it's, the, it's 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 funded by the kingdom of Saud right. by uh, uh, Saudi Arabia they're so, they have a I forget what it's not a sovereign wealth fund it's some sort of giant pile of I money think that's from about the oil right. yeah it sounds uh, what it was and 
they've decided that they're going to be a player in international golf, and so they started a competing tour right. over the PGA. And as you're saying, the first big get, the first big get was probably getting Greg Norman to be the head of it, to That's be the right. the, t- yeah. the big famous golf guy from the 80s and 90s. Uh, they got him to be the face of it as a, as a commissioner of sorts out, out to give in front. it some legitimacy because if it was just some guys with like from the Saudi Arabia place, they'd be like, no, no, right. And then they get the the next big get was to say that we're going to sign Phil Mickelson, and they kind of did it the way some of these soccer assholes do it, uh, like these the the golf soccer assholes who are like, we're just going to pay a billion dollars to yeah. Ronaldo, Ronaldo or whoever or whatever, the fuck, yeah, yeah. And and they started uh, they started. Uh, throwing money at a lot of other players and some of them would like never you know a pga person through and through and like wasn't there a report that upwards of 800 million towards tiger and he turned it down like all these people turned it down to make some sort of principal thing they must have been eating a lot of shit when the news came out that they were just gonna merge when you're tiger woods i think that's actually a pretty easy thing to turn down in terms of like you have literally all of yeah, the money that you yeah, could tiger possibly woods, right but if he was getting eight hundred million, a lot of the lower level types are probably being thrown forty million here, eighty million there. Right, they're being they're being offered way more money in guarantees than they could ever hope to make on the tour uh, back in the United States, right? Right. So that was the that's what they were doing. This is a huge loss leader for the Saudis. This is just a, a way for the kingdom to look good internationally. It's like a fucking five dollar rotisserie chicken at costco right yeah it's probably they don't yeah, care if they make print, any money on it yeah. it's just trying to get people in the door yeah you think uh, the fed prints money like they print money and you would think one of the motivations uh for some of the people that that uh push back is some sense of loyalty to the pga right like this is like they don't want to right right at least you're a some, goddamn american right, right. you're not going to go play golf in saudi arabia for a big pile of money you right. can earn an honest living on the american tour and that's right. how you're going to do it right and and so like all of that and then they just end up just saying oh man they really have a lot of money because they just threw money at the pga right i was trying to think of a of a comparison and it's almost like if the uh usfl or something back in the 80s had instead of if operating in new jersey and half a dozen other uh, second-tier cities around the country opened up shop in fucking Russia, right, back in the 80s or something. The Iron Curtain is still up. Right. Uh, We're still fighting the Cold War. And uh, they threw a whole ton of money at a bunch of NFL players and coaches to come across and play in their league. And after a year, the NFL was just like, oh, let's just all be buds. Yeah. Like, we're all just going to do this together now, and there won't be any punishment for any of our players who want to go play in tournaments in Saudi Arabia, right? Because right. that was the big thing, was the PGA was not allowing people who were on their tour, where they have, I don't know the number, but it, they have an excess of like 40 or 45 events every year, right? Like, they play every weekend on the PGA Tour one way or another. Right. And so they weren't allowing their players to, say, play in the in the majors here and then another half dozen tournaments and then go spend six weeks in Saudi Arabia. They wouldn't be allowed back on the U S tour after that. Right. And, and, and this now is, ap- apparently all of that is just going away. Yeah. All of that's going away. I mean, this is, um, like a sports washing, just raise their profile kind of thing. This is, it's not like somebody crunched the numbers and said, boy, this is a profitable thing that we could do. I'm sure it is, but like, 
that's not the primary motivator. Because I was wondering, like, if they can just throw their money at anything, like, do you think any other? I mean, is the NFL too big for the Saudi type to throw money at? Like, could they develop a? Like, I think the biggest weakness would be college football. They can just buy these eighteen-year-olds, right? Just have like a mirror league, like a SEC on steroids. Uh, and just take over all of that talent because between right. 18... what what would prevent what would prevent some multi multi billionaire from starting a competitive SEC type program right. where uh, we don't care if you go to college we're going to draft you right out of high school right and we're going to pay you three million dollars a year right like it's just it's an outrageous sum of money for an eighteen year old uh, but like that's what we're going to do. And then you can go on to play in the NFL, maybe in a few years after you've uh, aged up into that, or uh, just stay with us. Like we will, and and we'll give you a, a benefits package that includes lifetime uh, healthcare coverage and a pension, something along those lines. Uh, Yeah. Why not use that model to uh, ultimately destroy? And what would college football do at that point? I don't know. (laughs) Try to pass. I mean, the brand, the brands are certainly strong, but the brand appeals to the fan base. The brand doesn't appeal to, I mean, to some percentage of 15 to 18 year olds. Yeah, sure. Some kids really care about their favorite college, but uh, for the most part, I think money would play play a much bigger role. You could probably do something similar with the NBA and the other leagues. Just buy the best players and create your own like super league. So is this, uh, is this any, like, I'm not a golf fan. I don't fucking care. I, if I, if Tiger Woods was still competitive in majors, like I would watch it on a Sunday afternoon, but generally speaking, I don't care. Is this, uh, something to worry about? Do we care? I, I, I don't think so because like there, there's still, I mean, people tune in to watch the masters no matter what and the other, uh, major events. And I don't know if this live live thing is going to do its own like major but like, I don't think it's going to change the complexion much, right? I mean, it's, it's, these people make. I mean, a lot I'm sure of money. it just it makes it it makes it easier for Mickelson to come back and play in a X number of tour dates every year, which makes his American sponsors happy. Yeah, I don't know exactly what I guess. I guess that's what's in it for the PGA is just keeping sponsors happy. That and all the uh, money. Yeah, and presumably the big pile of but money. There, as it, well. It's hard to uh, maintain your principles when they throw a lot of money. And, you know, other people who think that, oh, I wouldn't take the money, like, maybe you would. Yeah. So much. Uh, this week, Apple unveiled a big new product. It's the, f- I mean, it's really the first big new product that I can think that they've come up with in the last many years. What maybe is the going last back one? The to. The watch? Like, what is that last going thing? Back, that- yeah, certainly the watch, but the watch didn't feel like a whole new. Right. Like there were smart watches you had the before Fitbit Apple and the the Garmin, right? And, yeah, but those are like more this, for runners and stuff. I guess the watch is the right comparison. Uh, a whole new product line for Apple, but uh, they've they've unveiled the new Vision Pro this week, which is. Uh, have you seen the the I, I, visual of it? it yeah, it's a. Is that the thirty five hundred dollar gadget? It's a three thousand five hundred dollar <laughs> pair of goggles that you put on your head and. Because the battery is so not great, you, you're basically wired. It's it's not something that you go walk around in the world with. You're going to be plugged in. And it's sort of a, a very fancy Google Glass, right? Like right. Uh, nine, what was it, 10, nine years ago, there was a Google Glass that uh, made the rounds in the uh, – 
tech blogs and it just kind of came and went. And I wonder if, because they priced it so cheap that the product was cheap, like you ideally want to do it this way. However, Apple, right, doing so this it. is, this is closer to the, the, the meta product. Uh, what do you call it? The, uh, the MetaQuest? The, the Oculus. Oh, Oculus. So okay. fa Facebook bought Oculus, which is a – its main application is as a video game machine at this point. And but, they want to use that technology to drive people to the metaverse on the long run. What was the sticker price for that, like 400 500 Oculus is – yeah, I think it's a few hundred dollars. So I think when is, it debuted, yeah. it was more. This so is significantly this more is than that. Yeah. more. So I'm thinking that they – you know, Apple usually will – tweak thing well they'll do very basic things but they'll do it semi well so i wonder i don't know have there been reviews i haven't really followed this have there been some feedback from the review people like it's like a so from product? the from the new york times coverage of this i walked away with mixed feelings including a nagging sense of skepticism on one hand i was impressed with the quality of the headset which Apple bills as the beginning of an era of spatial computing, where digital da data blends with the physical world to unlock new capabilities. First, uh, who wants that? Yes. Uh, where's the customer base? Yes. Uh, Im imagine wearing a headset to assemble furniture while the instructions are digitally projected onto the parts, for instance, or cooking a meal while a recipe is displayed in the corner of your eye, or... Uh, because you're an Apple person already, you have fucking four iPads and you have a, 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 a heads-up computer display in your I like kitchen my already. On paper. Yeah, or you've printed it out on paper, or uh, when you're putting together your furniture, you just have the little booklet open next to you, or uh, that you probably ignore anyway, by the way, and you just put the screw A into slot B and you make it all work. Right. Who wants who like this is the thing that they're billing it as for? Who the fuck wants heads-up? display of the instructions of the Boomers. chair that you're putting together right yeah because i mean that's the application because that, that's i mean that that question you're asking is why that meta thing didn't really work because it's like maybe the, the technology is there to try this but like what is the application like who is this for and it just kind of falls apart like what is the point of this Apple's device had high-resolution video, intuitive controls, and a comfortable fit, which felt superior to my experiences with headsets made in the last decade by Meta, Magic Leap, Sony, and others. But after wearing the new headset to view photos and interact with a virtual dinosaur... Again, we are uh, suffuse with screens in our lives, right? If we want to view photos, we probably have... Uh, uh, one in our pocket that yes. will do that. Yes. We have our various computers, and we have half a dozen flat screen TVs around the house where we can view photos. Why do we want to strap a thing to our faces as we walk around our house to look at photographs? I don't understand. And people will just be limited to the house. Obnoxious people are going to go out and about walking with this contraption. Two cell phones rang at Calvin's little graduation ceremony. Two wow. rang. The Vision Pro, which resembles a pair of ski goggles, has a white USB cable that plugs into a silver battery pack that I slipped into the pocket of my jeans. So you have to walk around with a battery pack in your pocket in order to operate this thing. <laughs> to put it on my face, I turned a knob on the side of the headset to adjust the snugness and secured a Velcro strap above my head. You know what I want on my $3,500 piece of equipment? is velcro yeah. that's how you know you're getting a high quality piece of equipment is that there's fucking velcro on it that's what kept the cost down it could have been five grand bob 
What other hand gestures would the headset recognize for playing games? How good will voice controls be if Siri's voice transcription on phones currently doesn't work well? Apple isn't sure yet what other gestures will be supported, and it didn't let me try voice controls. Then came the app demos. Uh, Apple first walked me through looking at photos and a video of a birthday party on the headset. I could turn a dial near the front of the Vision Pro counterclockwise to make the photo backgrounds more transparent and see the real world, including the Apple employees around me, or turn it clockwise to make the photo more opaque to immerse myself. Apple also had me open a meditation app in the headset that showed 3D animations while soothing music played and a voice instructed me to breathe. But the meditation couldn't prepare me for what was coming next, a video call. A small window popped up, a notification of a FaceTime call from another Apple employee wearing the headset. Sounds like a nightmare. I stared at the answer button and pinched to take the call. The Apple employee in the video call was using a persona, an animated 3D avatar of herself that the headset created using a scan of her face. The Apple employee's facial expressions looked lifelike and her mouth movements synchronized with her speech, but because of how her avatar was digitally rendered with the uniform texture of her face and the lack of shadows, I could tell it was fake. It resembled a video hologram I had seen in sci-fi movies like Minority Report. Yes, but why? Why is it strapped to your fucking face instead of being on your phone like it's been for the last decade? Other headsets from Meta and Sony PlayStation were much cheaper and already quite powerful and entertaining, especially for playing video games. But whenever we had guests over for dinner and they tried the goggles on, they lost interest after less than half an hour because the experience was exhausting and they felt socially disconnected from the group. One of the things that I find least believable about all of the advertising for these things is they often show a person doing this in a room full of other people who aren't doing this. Yes. Which is... Uh, a further step removed from watching your friend play video games when you go over to his house and you're like, come on, man, let me have a turn or let's let's play some multiplayer shit. I didn't come over here to watch you play. That's bullshit. And now you're going to strap the whole thing to your face. So I can't even watch the thing that you are yeah. doing happen yeah. because you're doing it. And it's being projected onto your eyeballs. Right. And we're going to hang out and do that? No. That, that's Impossible. 100% true, happen. but they can't also have you just be a loner in your room doing this, right? They have to make it seem like a social thing, but you're right. It's not. There will be Apple fanboy lunatics who are happy to spend the $4,000 on this thing to say nothing of because it's Apple – Every other little thing to go along with it will cost more, right? It's not like the Android app store where you can get everything for fucking free if you want. Everything is going to cost fucking $3 or $5 or $40 or whatever it is. And I don't understand it. I I can't even imagine what the market is for this sort of thing. But Apple's uh, customer base, they have an insatiable appetite to spend. So it seems like I don't think they can set the price high enough. I I mean – Thirty five hundred is steep. Like so, it's not going to be a lot. Your regular consumer buying this, so it'll just be like the nerdy. Thirty five hundred dollars gets you more than a. It gets you a top of absolute top of the line, state of the art yes. gaming, com- like gaming computer, and a monitor to go along with it. Yes. Right? Like you have to work to spend four thousand dollars on a home computer at this point, and this thing's limited utility. Doesn't like it. It's so far from being – like an Oculus arguably is, is in the impulse buy range. Like it's a, it's a hell of a lot of money. Right. But you could still just be like, well, I got a 
I got an extra paycheck this week because it's a three three paycheck month instead of a two paycheck month. So I'm going to uh, spend my bonus on the on the Oculus. Like you can't do that right. with something and, like and this. And again, the selling point is that you can help me install my IKEA furniture or like cook something. Like it seems kind of silly. So Apple generally doesn't miss on these things. You know, whatever they sell, people buy. Do you think this will be a flop? Like even for the limited number of customers it can expect. I don't know. I have an argument that the iPad is still a flop, even though they've sold like a buck and a half billion of them. So I'm argue not. Argue that. What's the I'm argument? I'm not the one to ask. How? I just. I still don't think that. It's not that I think that the iPad was a flop. It's that okay. I don't think that it was a. Re- it was not the revolutionary piece of technology. Even that though they, sold, they it. sold so many products, it's not revolu- It doesn't have to be revolutionary right. to be right. It was mark. It was, but the way that Jobs marketed it and the way that Apple marketed it was uh, the suggestion that it was going to revolutionize our lives in some way. And it, and because they had they had sort of done that twice in the previous decade right. with the uh, with the iPod and then the iPhone. Uh, there was reason to believe that it. That when they said that, it wasn't just uh, pure marketing hooey. Right. But ultimately, the iPad marketing hooey was just marketing hooey. I don't know. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it's, it's highly adopted. There's no denying yeah, that. Yeah, that's like we have one at work. We have two at work. One we use for posting social media. The other we use for like streaming fucking Pandora. Yeah. Like they've become this ubiquitous, like where's your iPad thing. Yeah, but they're ubiquitous in the same way that – I mean, it's it's they serve so much the same function as the phone. It's just a slightly more communal. Yeah, but for some reason, it's a slightly more yeah. communal version of the smartphone, I guess. Uh, I don't know why I remember this, but uh, Baba Booey of the Howard Stern Show. Uh, he went yeah. on CNBC or one of those. I don't know why they're interviewing this guy, uh, the producer of the Shock Jock. But he g- tried to get ahead of the iPad thing to say like this was. I think he called it a bit of a stumble by Apple, and like like a year later, they're showing all the sales figure. We're like, oh, this is like through the roof. <laughs> he sold forty million of them. Yeah. But my favorite uh, iPad thing is always like old people using it as a camera, like at the Notre Dame Basilica thingy. Like there were like three <laughs> right. or four of them bringing out their iPad, or it could have been like some Android version, but like this big screen, and they're holding it very awkwardly, and it's it's just always fun. Yeah. Speaking of uh, these sort of goggle type things, I was looking, I need new sunglasses. So I was looking on the Amazon for sunglasses and I saw uh, a pair of Ray-Bans. I need new sunglasses too. That cost $200 or something. Like uh, like I'm accustomed to Ray-Bans being an expensive brand. I didn't, for the record, I didn't end up going with Ray-Bans, but I was just looking at them and... It's like wow, that's a lot of it's a little plus in the in the name. It's it wasn't just the Wayfarer; it was the Wayfarer Plus oh. with uh, with some bullshit. And so I clicked on it, and it it has uh, built-in cameras so that you can surreptitiously or uh, I mean they don't they don't promote it as surreptitious uh, precisely. Let me pull up the ad copy here. Yeah, here we go. $240 for Ray-Ban Stories, the Wayfarer smart glasses with photo, video, and audio. With a swipe along the side, like the frame, okay. the, the swipe along the side, you can change the playback and volume, sort of like when you tap your stupid oh, neat. ear set things. And it, it 
they don't fit into your ear, but they like, I guess they do some sort of bone. Sometimes these speakers do like bone conducting yeah. thing. So it's, it's not a pair of air, AirPod that. type things, but they just sit right there next to the ear and they play music so that only you can hear it. You don't or lose any so that quality and sound when you have it. I don't know. I didn't read any reviews about how good it is. Uh, but also you can take photos and videos hands-free with a Clicker? five, I think it said five megapixel camera that's built right into the sides of the frames uh, atop your lenses there. Do you have a clicker? How do you uh, snap? You touch it. No, it's true. You just kind of oh, tap it on, like that, some asshole. How can you do a, this? You know, Look at this fucking guy. He's fucking touching his glasses. He must be taking the, the only advantage is for these is for the old people. Like, or you talk about you go to a concert and the asshole in front of you is just holding their phone up yeah. uh, to record the show the I'm whole time. You, the boomers are the target market for all this shit. At least with these, they could just keep their stupid sunglasses on. Although you know there's going to be the asshole who lifts the sunglasses off his head <laughs> and holds them over his head. Uh, to record the show. But I just, uh, first of all, it's creepy to be walking around with uh, cameras constantly, potentially recording all the time. But also, sunglasses are among the most easily discarded and forgotten and lost items in your uh, personal repertoire of shit that you carry around with you. Why would you spend five times the amount on these stupid smart sunglasses when they're guaranteed to be lost or broken in a year or so? I don't get it. Speaking of our bogus future and these stupid devices, I sent you guys a link to this tele dual screen TV uh, a couple weeks ago. I don't know if you got a chance to look at it. But there's this company called Tele, T-E-L-L-Y. And they have launched a so-called product that is just a giveaway. They're giving away a 55-inch 4K television. And they'll uh, you sign up, they send it to you, and uh, you'll have to go to the the show note to see a, a link to this. Oh, the other day gadget. Yes, the answer is always more TVs. You have the fifty-five inch TV, uh, and then right built in, right below it, you have a one of those fancy sound bars because, of course, all these TVs have shitty sound. Neat. Unless you're Abe, uh, <laughs> you, you don't. Most most people don't put up with the shitty sound out of their uh, fancy flat screen, but. Never bothered, Abe. <laughs> so m- most people have a soundbar. This one comes with a soundbar uh, built in. And then below the soundbar is another screen, which is, uh, it looks, it, it is about the dimensions of like the ticker that you would usually see on a, on a television, a little bit, maybe twice the height yeah. of your standard ticker. So it's 55 inches for the top TV. And then if you include the bottom TV... It's 63 inches. Okay. So and, and uh, because of, of the way diagonals, yeah. I don't know, fucking, I can't do that math off the top of my head. Neither can but they. But it looks, <laughs> right, <laughs> they refuse to do it for me, these assholes, <laughs> even in the ad copy. Uh, basically, imagine that there's, a, on the bottom of your TV, there's a smart speaker thing, uh, the sound bar, and then just below that, also attached, there's another foot of vertical height and another just as wide part of your right. television, right? So they've added a second smaller screen to the bottom of the TV. And the plan is to uh, sell all of that information that all of these tech companies are, uh, all of the data that they're uh, collecting on us, 
to then sell that to advertisers and to uh, make make that a more appealing make you a more appealing product and therefore they're happy to give away this thing that they probably have spent between five and eight hundred dollars on maybe uh all told in terms of uh speaking of uh, the costco rotisserie chicken imagine if they were just giving that costco chicken away instead of charging you five dollars for it that's their plan here this is from the the ceo we believe that this format of a dual screen tv will actually be the future and the next evolution of where tvs are going Throughout our chat, he tossed out numerous examples of how there might be interplay between both screens. Parents watching the news on the primary display while their children play Flappy Bird on the bottom one. A video call where the current speaker takes up the main TV with other participants shown on the bottom display, listening to music from your service of choice on the secondary screen while watching something on mute on the primary display. Also, why do you have to listen to something on a display? Right. That's a little bit beyond me. Uh, co-watching movies or sports games together with your friends. The sports or movie goes on the top screen, and your friends would be visible as uh, like uh, video avatars on the on the second screen. Or just watch many games, though, right? You can just watch different. Right. In all likelihood, though, instead, you won't be able to put uh, your preferred channel on top and then put the other four college football games that are going yeah. on on the bottom because yeah. it will just be a bunch of ads on the bottom, uh, specifically targeted ads. And they'll yell at you if you try to cover up the bottom screen because they will put enough of the features of the television, like all the menu stuff, make that display on the bottom. And if you hack it or otherwise try to hide that screen from your display they will they, they have your credit card information on file and they will charge you for failing to live up to the terms of service so uh tvs are we live in a world where tvs are plenty cheap i mean you can get a decent tv for 500 bucks or whatever or less uh they have picture in picture you know you know like youtube tv and the others they have the multiple boxes or whatever so like what? Abe, Abe, don't forget uh, we're all carrying around second screens That's in right. our fucking pockets. No, this isn't a TV. Literally all the time. And laptops. And, and we have six That's iPads in the fucking yeah. house. And we have computers. <laughs> and we probably even have another TV yeah. in the next room that we could just truck TV. on into the living room if we really <laughs> need a second put screen. More TVs in the same room. Yeah. Also, when Bob goes away, when I tell my clients, like, I'm going to have the house to myself for a week. Yeah. And they say, what are you going to do? I say, I'm going to turn all the TVs on <laughs> and and have all the TVs on at the same time. That's nice. what I'm going to do. Nice. Because it's my favorite thing. Yeah. <laughs> Nightmare. What a terrible way to live. They're all on the same channel. <laughs> so you can walk anywhere. She'll have to sign in as different users because you max out the number of uh, screens that you can use as your user. So you'll have to be signed in as me and you across four TVs. The struggles of modern life, I guess. You also leave all the goddamn lights on, and there won't be anybody walking behind you to turn the lights off as you go uh, around the there house. There won't be anybody walking behind me to murder me. You're right. It's the implication there that I might murder you at some point because I'm turning if, off the lights? If the lights are on, I can see. Yes. Ah, yes. You'll, no one's ever been murdered with a light on. It's very smart. Not by strangers. I don't like poorly lit homes either. I have all my lights on. I'll pay the extra $10 or whatever. What do you have? You might have two light fixtures in that fucking two-bedroom place. That one-bedroom, two-room place of yours. <laughs> and they're both on. Uh, anyway, this seems bad. Why would you invite this yeah. sort of uh, 
this this know. amount you have a of cell phone. What was that? Uh... I know, but it just seems <laughs> extra intrusive somehow. What are they? Uh, what what did I just read? Quarter million people have signed up for this. I know it's like free is the main draw, and they're thinking, oh, I'll figure out a way around the ads. But that's, I mean. The people who are signing yeah, up for this. Yeah, free is a, 50, a 55-inch free television to stick in your living room. And apparently you have to keep it in your living room according to the terms of service. Oh, really? If you, that, because if, if you make it a secondary TV in your basement or in your garage, they will know based on your viewing habits that you're uh, not properly using the product. Are, are we going to have a relationship back. with this TV? Is it going to talk? Is it going to shame me in my own house? Like, hey, come on, buddy. A little more TV. Yes, very clearly. If nothing else, it's a funny picture to look at yeah. to see this creation and i'm sure they won't be the only ones who come up with this sort of thing um maybe they'll be the only ones who believe they can do it for free and so instead we'll we'll get this as an option to buy in the future i don't know i wonder if this uh right. setup would work like without the, the stupid ads like if you just paid the 800 dollars or whatever if people would want that setup like you got the main screen you got the little uh, sound bar and then you can like customize the bottom like for just like information a scroll or something of just information i can see if if i have a, a waiting room at a doctor's office or something like that like or or a place of business it's like you've got your tv on and then you also have like a, a now serving thing yeah. running yeah. on the bottom that screen or something yeah. like that like i can imagine but i also can imagine that that is perfectly achievable with just a, another 43 inch tv on the wall yeah. and like whatever <laughs> All right, I want to play a clip from the very first episode of Tucker on Twitter. Oh, that's right. And that's not, that's not me describing something. That is the name of the show. You go to the at Tucker Carlson handle on Twitter, and you can watch Tucker on Twitter. Hey, it's Tucker Carlson. This morning it looks like somebody blew up the Kokovka Dam in southern Ukraine. The rushing wall of water wiped out entire villages, destroyed a critical hydropower plant, and as of tonight, puts the largest nuclear reactor in Europe in danger of melting down. So if this was intentional, it was not a military tactic, it was an act of terrorism. The question is, who did it? Well, let's see. The Kokovka Dam was effectively Russian. It was built by the Russian government. It currently sits in Russian-controlled territory. The dam's reservoir supplies water to Crimea, which has been, for the last 240 years, home of the Russian Black Sea Fleet. Blowing up the dam may be bad for Ukraine, but it hurts Russia more. And for precisely that reason, the Ukrainian government has considered destroying it. In December, the Washington Post quoted a Ukrainian general saying his men had fired American-made rockets at the dam's floodgate as a test strike. So really, once the facts start coming in, it becomes much less of a mystery what might have happened to the dam. Any fair person would conclude that the Ukrainians probably blew it up, just as you would assume they blew up Nord Stream, the Russian natural gas pipeline, last fall. And in fact, the Ukrainians did do that, as we now know. It's not like Vladimir Putin is anxious to wage war on himself. Ukraine, as you may have heard, is led by a man called Zelensky. And we can say for a dead certain fact that he was not involved. He couldn't have been. Zelensky is too decent for terrorism. Now, you see him on television, and it's true you might form a different impression. Sweaty and rat-like, a comedian turned oligarch, a persecutor of Christians, a friend of BlackRock. But don't believe your own eyes. Actually, Mr. Zelensky is a very good man. The best, really. 
As George W. Bush once noted, he is our generation's Winston Churchill. Of all the people in the world, our shifty, dead-eyed Ukrainian friend in the tracksuit is uniquely incapable of blowing up a dam. He's literally a living saint, a man in whom there is no sin. That's why Lindsey Graham is so attracted to him. They're just two good people, hanging out together and being good. And like all good people, when they meet in person, they spend a lot of time talking about killing people and laughing like friends do. A smile spreads across his thin, quivering lips as he forms the words. He looks like a starving man contemplating a breakfast buffet. The aroma of death has aroused Lindsey Graham. Thanks so much, replies Zelensky. He feels the same way. See, there's nothing dark here. Just two middle-aged guys celebrating the killing of a population. They don't seem like the kind of people who'd enjoy flooding villages or starting a famine. Who organized those BLM riots three years ago? No one's gotten to the bottom of that. What exactly happened on 9-11? Well, it's still classified. How did Jeffrey Epstein make all that money? How did he die? How about JFK? And so endlessly on. Not only are the media not interested in any of this, they are actively hostile to anybody who is. In journalism, curiosity is the gravest crime. Yesterday, for example, a former Air Force officer who worked for years in military intelligence came forward as a whistleblower to reveal that the U.S. government has physical evidence of crashed non-human-made aircraft, as well as the bodies of the pilots who flew those aircraft. The Pentagon has spent decades studying these otherworldly remains in order to build more technologically advanced weapons systems. Okay, that's what the former intel officer revealed, and it was clear he was telling the truth. In other words, UFOs are actually real, and apparently so is extraterrestrial life. Now we know. In a normal country, this news would qualify as a bombshell, the story of the millennium. But in our country... It doesn't. The whistleblower's account ran on a technology website called The Debrief, which you've probably never heard of. The Washington Post had that story, but decided not to run it. The New York Times, meanwhile, just pretended it never happened. On the front page of the New York Times website this morning, there were five stories about Ukraine, as well as four stories apiece about Donald Trump, trans people, and climate change, the usual lineup. There was nothing at all about how an alien species is flying hypersonic aircraft over our cities. Not one word. So if you're wondering why our country seems so dysfunctional, this is a big part of the reason. Nobody knows what's happening. A small group of people control access to all relevant information, and the rest of us don't know. We're allowed to yap all we want about racism, but go ahead and talk about something that really matters and see what happens. If you keep it up, they'll make you be quiet. Trust us. That's how they maintain control. Stop asking how we got so rich. Here's another story about racism. Go eat each other. That's the program. That's how most of us now live here in the United States. Manipulated by lies, silenced by taboos. It is unhealthy and it's dehumanizing, and we're tired of it. As of today, we've come to Twitter, which we hope will be the shortwave radio under the blankets. We're told there are no gatekeepers here. If that turns out to be false, we'll leave. But in the meantime, we are grateful to be here. We'll be back with much more very right, soon. A couple of uh, quick points. So is, is that right? Is that number 95.5 million? That's how many people have viewed this, this 
episode? That's the number of people that have seen the tweet. I don't know okay. how many video plays it's gotten. Wow, what reach. And and just for clarification, did he say when he was saying, oh, they don't want you to know these things, they want you to blah, 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 go eat each other or go hate each other? Eat. I think it was eat. Eat each other? Go eat each other. Is that a new expression? What does he mean by eat each other? I mean, he means like fight fight amongst yourselves, oh, okay. I think is what he's okay. getting at there. I don't know how much of that 10 minutes I will have kept in the final show. Yeah. We, we, we did just watch the whole thing. I'll probably just pull highlights rather than give the whole 10 minutes over to Tucker there, but... It will sound like I'm cherry-picking some crazy shit. Uh, I'm not. I mean, I am. I am cherry-picking crazy shit. But it is still representative of the whole. I'm not taking right. things out of context and it's to present him as some sort of clown. Right. I didn't edit the audio in a funny way so that he would sound weird or dumb, like I sometimes do with my good friend Abe. <laughs> Finally, you admit it. He is, in fact... Just this fucking, I mean, crazy, I guess. I don't know. What What exactly is he doing here? So, what is the... Yeah, the, what, the, the focus of the Russia-Ukraine, which is a weird thing that he's on. I don't, I don't get it. But, like, he is making a conspiracy stew, right? Like, all the other stuff he's just throwing in there is just like a... This is, like, this might as well... He might as well have been... Um, he might as well have taken his talents to YouTube, right? Because this is like a YouTube conspiracy page. It's almost like, okay, if you care about the Ukraine stuff, this they don't want you to talk about this. And then it's like, oh, this alien thing? like, And, and he does that conspiracy, th- my favorite conspiracy theorist uh, tactic, which is he'll just say something and then he'll say, well, now we establish that that's true. It's like, no, we haven't. Because like, he just said, oh, there was some story about some aliens and some plane or whatever and we know that's true it's like do we like i mean first of all for all you people into these alien things where the fuck are the aliens it's been like how many years i've been waiting for these stupid fucking aliens i think he he says something like uh, like you're saying yes now we know this is true that's what the former intel officer revealed and it was clear he was telling the truth in other words ufos are actually real and apparently so is extraterrestrial life now we know because one guy talked to a website right. that Tucker acknowledges you've never heard of before, and a website, a news network called NewsNation.com had a had an interview with this guy, and now we're, apparently Tucker is willing to take on faith on the on the word of this one guy who provides no evidence, right. and anytime he's asked to provide evidence, says I can't get into specifics, but. Uh, and I'll make sure there's links to this in the show notes because it, it, despite what Tucker is saying, it has, in fact, been fairly widely covered by uh, what you would consider mainstream outlets and pointed out by those outlets to be the word of one guy who's not providing any evidence. Right. And therefore, it would be insane to say, and now this is something we know right. because one guy who has a couple of credentials after his name who happened to have worked in this particular field – uh, for the government for some time has either gone crazy or simply believes crazy things right. because his buddies at work have told him crazy things through the years that he took on faith and now he wants us to take on faith. Now we know. What the fuck are you talking right. about? Like, why would you, to me, like, very, I mean, not that he has a reputation anymore, 
But this is a torching of all possible credibility that you might have to say, because the New York Times won't cover this story, which is about the truth of the fact that we have been visited by aliens and gotten into a shooting war with aliens multiple times, the U.S. government has these crafts and these bodies right. somewhere. And like Tucker is uh, – one would in a, in a world where reputations matter, he's staking his reputation on the idea that this is something that is obviously true right. because this one guy said it. And I just – I can't even fathom why a person would do that. Right. To, to, we're supposed to disbelieve everything that the media says, right? If the media says it, it is a lie. Unless that is basically yeah. what Tucker's position Unless is. Unless it's something that conforms with what they already believe. He cited like a Washington Post story, right? Like earlier on in the 10 minutes. Like, so like when it's something that comports with what he already believes, yes, let's reference the Washington Post or the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. But in all other cases, forget it. And also, so the... In, the entire credibility of this random Yahoo is that he was he he worked in the military or something like this is reminiscent. I don't know if it was a a sibling of mine or a friend of mine, but back in the day there was this thing where like either a CIA person or somebody working in the government somehow saying that the U.S. government uh, deliberately uh, uh, funneled a lot of like crack cocaine into black communities to like undermine them or something like it's like and because like the person was like a cia person they must be telling the truth it kind of sounds like that's what tucker is doing like oh this person had some position to where he may have some inside information and so whatever he says there's some credence to it right that's not necessarily true but that it's like they're kind of using the same weird argument where it's like they must be telling the truth they used to work there Right. To say nothing of the like obvious amateurish anti-Semitism that he unloads in the first third of the video, where he's talking about the rat-faced Zelensky and and uh, yes. the way that he that we're expected to listen to a tiny few number of people who secretly control all of the things in the world. Sweaty and rat-like, our shifty, dead-eyed Ukrainian friend in the tracksuit. A small group of people control access to all relevant information. To say it's a, a dog whistle is to uh, proclaim yourself a fucking moron because he's just talking about it in the open. And then you combine that with the the jokes, not even jokes, the sort of cruelty about uh, Lindsey Graham being aroused by uh, just being in the presence of Zelensky and possibly aroused by the thought of death and the and the murder of Russians and the the terrorism done, which he doesn't know. Like, and, and by the way, it's not like the New York Times stories about this blown up Russian dam have been like. Obviously, the Russians did it. No, they've been circumspect about the things that they know and what they don't know, and they are pointing at the ways in which uh, this would not be something that the Ukrainians would do. Uh, you wouldn't think, but also maybe not something that the Russians would do. You wouldn't think, and so they're not entirely sure uh, whose fault this is, and so they're not making any – like it's not like they're coming out and, and, and putting their thumb on the scale on right. one side or the other right. of this particular event, whether the, whether you believe that they've been uh, more sympathetic to one side or the other. By the way, in a war of aggression by the Russians, to be clear. Not mentioned uh, once. <laughs> right. To say that somehow it, it's it's 
Zelensky and the Ukrainians and Lindsey Graham and those who would support the Ukrainian efforts are the ones who love death so much, who would take a personal glee in this death, rather than uh, Putin and the Russians, who ha- are the aggressors in this conflict. No matter no matter what you might say about NATO's encroachment on on Russian territory or or the 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 terror that Russia has had to live with for the last couple of generations as NATO has expanded its remit in the region. The bottom line is that this is a uh, an act of aggression by one party uh, onto another, uh, a, a singular act in a moment of a, a, de- a decision that was made by one country, right. not by the United States or by Ukraine, but by the Russians. So if and uh, like it, it's this weird like like he's basically doing like he's accusing them of being in some sort of weird death cult. Like the image that I got was of the the South Park Critter Christmas when he's talking about. Zelensky and and Graham just gleefully talking about uh, death and flooding areas and 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 the murder of Russians. It feels like I'm I'm watching a description of the the South Park critters right. and the the gleeful sacrifice of the lion cub babies. It's critter Christmas, dude. It sucks ass. You know, uh, he he Tucker and his ilk. The, and I mean, like this sort of conspiracy types were like, oh, the they, oh boy, this and that, right? He his, he his main argument is that the conventional uh, news sources are withholding things, or they're distorting things, or they're not giving you the clear picture, and the government's in on it, and blah blah blah. So the source of information can't be trusted. Uh, but if you got yourself one of these lobotomies, right? I'm sure they're doing new things with lobotomies, and you just forgot everything else, and all you did was consume. Tucker Carlson content, right? So your world, as you know it, is based on what this guy is telling you. You would have such a distorted sense of what's going on in between Russia and Ukraine, right? Like you think, wait a minute, these that zealous Zelensky is fucking up these poor Russian people that are just like walking around and like the rat faced Jew controlled by Western powers who are also all Jews are are the aggressors against the good Christian Putin and his good Christian Russian friends. Like it's, it's remarkable. And not only that, there are also aliens that also the U.S. government has a strong handle on because we're able to contain it. Like, so you have this like advanced species and the U.S. government's got them like hidden somewhere. Like, why, why aren't they doing other things? These aliens, like, it didn't make any sense. Like, and who and who really killed Kennedy? What? And what really happened on nine <laughs> eleven? That's right. That's right. He threw the nine eleven thing too. It's just like, what is going on with this dude? So and 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 Epstein suicide. You really believe right. that? Like, he's it really is just throwing everything into the the conspiracy stew because that's how all i mean not to not to i don't like i think anti-semitism is largely overblown in terms of its actual uh impacts on on modern society these days Uh, and yeah (laughs) abe is physically distancing himself from the microphone (laughs) as i say that lost lost a lost a listener there bob um and I think that it it it's almost uh, it's a meme more than anything else, especially among a certain sort of hyper online set. Uh, but anti-Semitism is a it's the it's the world's oldest conspiracy theory. Yes. It is it is the mother of all conspiracy theories. And as soon as you start knitting together this conspiracy theory and that conspiracy theory, what you always end up at 
is the vast overarching anti-Semitic conspiracy theory that the Jews are all in charge of everything. Right. And that's just so clearly what he's doing here. Also, this is episode one. I mean, his load is blown. I mean, what is he going to do for episode two? I mean, he kind of just threw everything out out there. He'll probably just see what the reaction is and what people want to hear about most and talk about that more next time. (laughs) By the way, before I clicked on the video, uh, like... I don't know how Twitter's doing their algorithms now, but I guess uh, I think they used to always do this. Like the more prominent like uh, accounts get uh, featured at the top, and like the first reply to the video was former ESPN uh, talking head Jason Whitlock saying thought provoking, and I'm like, oh look at this fucking guy, he is falling way off. How fucking stupid do you have to be to say, boy, this really makes you think? <laughs> it's like, what were you I thinking know, before this thought provoking video? Smashed in the head a bunch of times. <laughs> it's uh, it's a play on the old "nothing is true and everything is possible" thing. This is a 30, yeah. it's a term that I heard, I think probably from uh, what's her name who works used to work at the New Yorker, uh, Russian. God damn it, Moshe Gasser. Masha Gessen. Masha Gessen. That's close though, Laura. That's very good. You got the M and the G right. Uh, I got all the sounds really close. She didn't write the book, but she always referenced this book about Putin's Russia, which is nothing is true and everything is possible. It's been on my list to read for a long time now. Like most nonfiction books, it just lives on the list of things for me to read (laughs) that I'll almost certainly never get to. (laughs) But it expresses something that is true not just of Putin's Russia – but of uh, the experience of being a hyper online person, I think, uh, or or being a populist in 21st century America, it's very it's a very Trumpy thing. It's a very Tucker Carlsony thing. Nothing is true, and everything is possible if only uh, we tell you so, or if you believe it. You know, uh, Carlson uh, has always struck me as a. Uh detached from some of the things that he says like he kind of gets what you know where people are at and then he'll try to exploit that this seems like he's kind of starting to buy into his own nonsense like or do you think he's still like he's he's aware enough of what he's doing playing footsie i think he recognizes that there is a, a vast undercurrent of this stuff in the american psyche and there always has been it has always been the case that the paranoid style in American right. politics goes back forever. It has always been the case that people simply don't believe what they're being told. It is built into the American DNA as surely as any other notions of individualism and rugged tryhardness and sort of the, the radical notions of uh, the bootstrap Americanism. All of that is tied into – a firm belief that any established power is not to be trusted. And I think that we have experienced, I mean, this is a much bigger uh, stupid sociological theory and conversation probably. But if, if you posit that the, the dying gasps of American technocracy uh, were experienced in the, uh, with the Obama administration, that uh, whatever legitimacy the American institutions and the establishment had, uh, starting with uh, George W. Bush's mistake of going in in Iraq and uh, the disaster that was uh, 20 years in Afghanistan and the ultimate 
the the sort of the pullout from that that put a lie to whatever we might have said we had been doing there uh, in a in a positive way, right? Like no matter what you think in terms of the the positive effects of driving the Taliban out of power and and making sure that uh, women had uh, some progress in terms of their their rights there all of that is is gone now we've 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 said we've washed our hands of it and we said uh take it back taliban right. uh so the the entire post 911 american enterprise is a, a total fucking failure and people recognize that and i think that uh obama's inability or unwillingness or simply the republican intransigence of working with obama like how, wherever you want to ultimately lay the blame I maintain that the Obama presidency failed on its own terms, and I don't care who you want to blame there. I think there's plenty to go around. Uh, probably the the lion's share of which uh, belongs with the Tea Party Republicans. Um, uh, but but Obama ceased to believe in the possibility of of good governance, and instead just uh, spent the bulk of his second term. Uh, using the pen, using the executive orders uh, to implement his policy, which was easily undone by the nightmare asshole uh, who followed him. And then so we have uh, a whole bunch of uh, sort of Pat Buchanan types uh, in the Republican Party who found the George W. Bush presidency to be a failure, along with all of the Democrats who believed that the George W. Uh, Bush presidency was a total failure. And then you get into Obama, and you have a total failure of uh, American governance uh, from both sides again, where uh, Republicans don't believe that Obama was legitimate, and the Democrats uh, don't believe that the Republicans are legitimate because they're not willing to work with Obama. And then we get into Trump, which is a total delegitimation of the entire project, and gleefully so, right? That is Trump's whole brand, is that all of this has been bullshit for years. You've been lied to. You're a bunch of suckers who've been suckered by uh, an elite group of people who don't care about you and only care about enriching themselves. And now we have Biden, uh, this old broken-down man, <clears throat> at the head of, it, of a, a bunch of institutions that no longer have the functional respect of large portions of uh, an American people who don't even recognize themselves as a cohesive unit any longer. We no longer talk to one another. We don't talk across uh, ideological lines. We believe that they are 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 enemies, are mortal existential enemies. This is how not just Donald Trump talks about uh, the other side. This is how Joe Biden talks about the other side as well. And maybe he's right at this point, right? Maybe the the conditions on the ground are such that he's actually right to identify so-called far-right MAGA Republicans as a threat to the established order. Because you look around and that seems to be what we're dealing with. That's what Tucker Carlson has identified as as the undercurrent of uh, American politics now that crosses uh, traditional party streams. It's why JFK, or sorry, pardon me, RFK Jr. has is polling in the double digits in the Democratic primary right now. And this is a crazy person who doesn't believe that his own father was murdered by the guy who's in prison for murdering his father, whose 
father's murderer apologized to him for doing the murder of his father, and he was like, nah, you didn't do it. Right. It was probably some other guy. That's what RFK thinks. That's what RFK Jr. thinks about his father's murder. He's also happy to – he believes that, that Tucker was fired from Fox News because of his views about the uh, pharmacological industry, uh, because of uh, Big Pharma. This is another guy who, uh, for whom nothing is true and everything is possible. And he has a, a fighter's chance. I, I will say it now. <laughs> Laugh all you want. Everybody was laughing in 2015 Come as well. On. You think uh, this dope is going to do I anything? I think if Biden is fucking incapable of running and the Democratic uh, machine is not prepared for the possibility. Connor Roy that- has a better chance of, of, of making – Making it to- Maybe he's polling in double digits, and there are weirdo libertarians who think, of all people, there are fucking libertarians who think that RFK in the Jr. Democratic Party, uh, or you think they're gonna cross over and like? Uh, yeah, we would cross over. Okay, it's ten forty. I, I will say though, uh, I have to give Abe a chance to respond <laughs> to my incredibly long monologue saying- here about what's wrong with everything. I just. To, to to dismiss it as pure craziness and to say it doesn't matter when it's only obviously on the rise and we've just experienced what we've experienced since 2015, this is the evolution of it. You don't need Donald Trump in the way uh, – to, I mean, he's already he already took over the Republican Party, right? Like he's already done what he did to one half of American politics. There's another third of the American uh, population that long believed that uh, the entire project was bogus. You and said Abe was going to respond. That's what you said. Yeah, that's what you kept talking. That's what Tucker is tapping into, right? And and it's what RFK is tapping into. And to dismiss it as uh, completely – I mean it is. It's absurd on its face. Uh, but this is a – there's a, a longstanding tradition of the paranoid style in American politics. And uh, given the medium uh, these days, given the fact that media – mainstream media is is entirely distrusted, that the American government is is widely – Distrusted. At least any time you ask anybody about it. Are they happy to continue to get their Medicare and their Medicaid and their Social Security checks? Of course they are. Uh, but what's holding it all together? It's not clear to me anymore what is. I, I do think uh, – I mean first of all, yeah, the RFK candidacy is a joke. Uh, I, it is weird that Tucker Carlson would be tapping into that just for profit or if he just believes it. Uh, regarding – I do think that the viability of a Trump – on one end, and the viability of an old Biden on the other is proof that there is some uh, there is some flaws in the system. Basically, this is not the the, the good period of things where they, you know Biden should just be fucking around in uh, Delaware, right? Like some younger, stronger candidate should be the person who's in the White House, but he has to kind of swoop in because there are a lot of dumb ideas that are being floated around, right? So like he shouldn't be there, but he's there because there's a weakness. I will say we are always one Teddy Roosevelt away from riding the ship. You know, you think that this is the end of things. Like, just get some forty-some-odd-year-old schmuck. He'll come out of there and just say, "This is bullshit. This is bullshit," and then things will be fine and we'll be all right. <laughs> Abe's response is, "Things will be fine." Also, I will say um, uh, all of these uh, the, the, 
the Tucker Carlson. I, I do think, like, we'll see, 2024, but, like, uh, what happened, I do think that the fever is starting to break, it's, at least nationally, because there's been some consistent, like, outcomes, you know, like, 18, 20, 22, they've been consistent away from, like, the batshit crazy candidates, right? So these batshit candidates, yeah, I suspect, I think, are not I going to the- do that well in 24. The thing that makes me sort of constitutionally a conservative, and I mean that uh, lowercase c's in both cases, right? So uh, I, I think that to some extent I agree with the sociological research that people are born sort of born with a tendency towards liberalism or, or progressivism and a tendency towards conservatism. I think I'm naturally a small c conservative to the extent that I – like when institutions endure, right? <laughs> like uh, fundamentally, I respect uh, the idea that we've had this state, uh, the the country for uh, going on 250 years and like it will maintain. And I think that's a generally a good thing that gigantic structures that maintain from one generation to the next and allow us uh, a sort of superstructure on which to uh, progress are generally a good thing. So in that sense, I think I'm a, a sort of born conservative. I'm not a, a revolutionary, fundamentally. Right. There is a there's a an inertial reality to the American system that gives us a Joe Biden, right? That gives us the results in 2018 and 20 and 22, and likely will in 24. That's a pushback against the sort of uh, revolutionary mindset that is concerning, whether it's the, the sort of Tucker revolutionary mindset of saying we'd be better off if all of these institutions simple, simply crumbled and were replaced by fucking Twitter videos or something. Yeah. I don't know yeah. uh, what he imagines is going to take the place of these institutions. Uh, I agree that that part of my sort of conservative nature says uh, in all likelihood our institutions will maintain. It's just a question of uh, will they – are, are we on a, a slow death crumble, uh, sort of uh, late Roman Republic style, uh, where the institutions, made, the buildings are there and crumbling, and uh, and then it all happens at once, right? It's, it all maintains, and, and I'm not saying that we, we're living in, spe- in the spectacular end times of the United States right. or anything like that. I don't imagine uh, that we would be so fortunate to be born into such interesting and terrible times. Uh, but I do think it's worth noting that that undercurrent that used to sort of live uh, in in conversations with your crazy coworker at three o'clock in the morning while listening to late night talk radio is now so prominent. Like this shit is straight out yeah. of early two thousands coast to coast AM stuff. Every single bit of it is something that we might have heard. Uh, on a closing shift at Papa John's at four in the morning while listening to the radio and laughed at. And then there's that one guy there who's like, oh, I don't know. It sounds pretty real. Uh, You know, I was talking to this other guy who who had similar things to say. It's like that one guy represents some fucking 40 million Americans. And it's and it's bizarre that it's all out in the open in the in the light of day now. I am. uh, I am for whichever letter is Montreal urban planning and against whatever letter. Atlanta urban planning is. That's where I am. <laughs> Fair enough. The letter that you like is the D. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was an article in uh, the New York Times on May 28th. No, wait, we have to, we it, have to stop. 
I, no, I just, it's a very quick point. It's not. The headline is your most ambivalent relationships are the most toxic. No, you have to not talk about this. It is literally a three sentence point. The article is about, uh, it's by this guy named Adam Grant. He's a contributing opinion writer. He writes uh, fucking self help psychological bullshit. Uh, but it's about how your, uh, most toxic relationships, quote unquote, are the ones with your frenemies rather than uh, the, the, that that is most spiritually and psychologically and emotionally draining are the relationships that are uh, neither perfectly uh, wonderful on the one hand or perfectly uh, enemy based like your nemesis. That's a that's a relationship that you can sort of uh, compartmentalize and say, well, of course I'm going to be stressed out by my nemesis because that's my fucking nemesis. And so I hate that person, but that's actually to your, your psychological makeup. That's easy, right? This is, this is what we do. Uh, and then if it's like, uh, your, your lovely spouse who you never have a negative word to say about (laughs) ever, of course, uh, then that's another uh, compartmentalized relationship you don't have to worry about. But if there's someone that you know and it's like, ah, oh, well, sometimes we we don't get along so good, that's a toxic relationship, right? Because it, your your brain treats it in this weird ambivalent space where you're not sure if you can trust the next thing to come out of that person's mouth is going to be good or it's going to make you feel bad. And so they're this fucking emotional ambivalent terrorist on your psychological state. And – uh he goes on to basically say, like, it would be better if you didn't have those sorts of relationships, which, by the way, uh, for what it's worth, are describing every single goddamn human interaction you're ever going to have with anyone on the planet unless you're a weird psychopath, yeah. I think. <laughs> the only sort of person who never has an ambivalent interaction with their spouse or their mother or their father or their best friend is a weirdo to me. I cannot even imagine. And also, what sort of life are you living? Uh, only having positive interactions with the five people in your life. Uh, I, I don't understand also, that at they- all. But that's not the yeah. point. The reason that I'm bringing this up is because this is a perfect encapsulation of the grander problem that we experience in our completely segmented society, which is that we have chosen to utterly cut ourselves off from these sorts of ambivalent relationships and conversations that we might have in a public space where we could have normal human interactions and publicly disagree with one another and then uh, go out to dinner like the Senate used to do, right? uh, We we fight on the floor, but then we go out to dinner and we're all friends afterwards. That sort of collegial, understanding, uh, life-in-public way of living we've completely disconnected from. And instead, we retreat to our online spaces where it's uh, echo chamber of, of this side and an echo chamber on this side. And the only time you interact with the other side is when you're pointing out what a total fucking existential nightmare it is to have to share a planet with right. them. And, and, and th- for this guy to, to write a guest essay about this, lauding the, the enemy relationship and the, and the perfectly healthy relationship on the other hand, and to say that uh, ambivalent relationships where you're not sure what you're going to get are toxic to you, Speaks directly to, uh, in my opinion, like the main problem of, of of living in the public square at this point. So toxic and should be avoided. Was that the the, the thrust of his, the the argument? Like you, you should yes. get into black and white thinking. You're either with me or against me. Like 
that that's that's the life. I mean, he talks about the ways in which all of these interactions are unpleasant and uh, painful, and that the human animal is meant to avoid pain. Right. She, he talks about how. Uh, Early in my career, I invested a great deal of energy in mentoring a student. I thought it was a positive relationship, but she chose a different advisor. When I asked for feedback, I learned that the relationship had looked different from where she stood. On the one hand, she appreciated my rapid responses and clear guidance. On the other hand, my answers were too directive. I was silencing her voice and crowding out her ideas. What I thought was being supportive was actually undermining her autonomy. As Anne Lamott puts it, help is the sunny side of control. A relationship in which you can't be candid isn't a relationship at all. It's a charade. Research shows that we tend to underestimate how open people are to constructive suggestions. Feedback doesn't always lead to change, but change doesn't happen without feedback. The goal is to be as candid as possible in what you say and as caring as possible in how you say it. Uh, as Brene Brown emphasizes, clear is kind. I've seen people try to ad address ambivalence by declaring, this relationship isn't healthy for me. That isn't kind. It's often received as you're a bad person when the reality is inevitably more complicated. An ambivalent relationship deserves a more nuanced, more accurate message. The mix of good and bad here isn't healthy for us. He's saying you should avoid these sorts of ambivalent relationships whenever possible. Well, that's that's the wrong conclusion. Of course it's the wrong conclusion. But it's also a perfect diagnosis of yeah. everything that's wrong with, like, fucking everything. Right. Not just this one asshole's understanding of a, a healthy psychology. You've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe, uh, refereed by Lori, admir admirably so. <laughs> you can find the show on Facebook or Twitter. How many sentences was that, by the way? I don't know. I tend to speak in excruciatingly long run-ons and lose like the thread. How many sentences? That I will was. happily transcribe it and just use an endless series of m dashes so that it was only one sentence. Hey, would you say that was more than or less than three and a half sentences? Over. Way over. I would have been so mad at myself if I did not use that to tie into the end of the broader Tucker Carlson okay, conversation. Well. And I apologize for the length of this podcast. But for the record, it's uh, right in line with just about every other uh, yeah, lengthy podcast that we long. do. Yeah, uh, they Our staggering numbers out there, uh, 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 akin to what Tucker is generating on Twitter, uh, would <laughs> okay, beg to disagree with, with your assessment of how long this or over long this podcast is. The opening and closing themes of this right sized podcast were composed by Mark Gillig, T E T R A M E R music.com. For more from him, tetramermusic.com. Abe, you were in Canada. I understand there's a new Spider Man animated movie that came out this week and made a big pile of money. And I personally am excited to see it, although I will say, Less excited to see it with the foreknowledge that it uh, ends in a fucking Yet cliffhanger and we have to wait another couple of years. Also, it's real long, right? Two hours. It's like fucking two and a half hours like this long. this fucking podcast. Yeah. Uh, I didn't ask anybody to show up in a movie theater and take a night out of their goddamn... Uh, you can listen to me while you're fucking driving around or fucking doing yard work, whatever I'm, you want to do. I have to sit here and listen to you now. Your bed's, as I say many times, your bed's right upstairs, lady. Your energy, your awful energy can be felt across our small house. <laughs> awful energy. Uh, Abe, did you go see the new Spider-Man movie? I did. I went to go uh, see it the other day uh, when I returned from... 
um, Montreal. Uh, if you love uh, Spider-Man in any way, you're going to love this movie. There were at least a thousand Spider-Mans. You know, they're doing this stupid fucking How, what, what alternate universe. Compared to the other one, the other animated Yeah, one, so this is it? like the second installment, and I guess it's going to be a three-installment trilogy because the way that they led you on in this one, like uh, there's going to be some finality in the next one. Yeah, if you thought this was a movie, it wasn't. It was the first two-thirds of a right, movie. Right, So I uh, I don't care for the Spider-Man character, so the, the movie was fine. Uh, it looks spectacular, though. Like the like after like the first like second, it, it looks like they're almost like trying to like mimic like the actual comic book, you right. know? But it yeah. looks like after like half a second, you just kind of immerse it, and it looks great. Everything just kind of works, and the audience they were all over this. the The first ha- hour was just kind of dragging, uh, but like the last hour, solid, no problem. Until you know, you can always tell a movie is about to end the way you can just kind of tell. I'm always have my my recline seat up. You know, I already know when right. they're getting, and I'm like, oh, they're gonna do the stupid fucking cliffhanger. I didn't know this going in. Uh, but I'm like, oh, they're doing this thing. Because they're like, oh, we got to go save the, that fucking Morales guy or whatever, right? And then like, the music gets a little louder, and then it ends. But the audience was like, whoa. Like, the whole audience did. And this is not um, Little Mermaid young, like, teenager young. Like, they're, like, a few years older. And they were all about this movie. Man, they liked that. Yeah. Uh, so... It looks spectacular, and I can't wait to see it. I'm just mad that it's not a whole movie. Yeah. And I don't know why you can't do a trilogy that, in fact, has discrete movies that you can go see and feel like you have seen a goddamn full yeah. movie. Like, what is your problem? Yeah, I don't, Make I, a movie. I don't get it. But it, it, like the, it made a lot of money. The ratings were solid across yeah. the board. And well, The first one was so good. Yeah. So, yeah. If, yeah, if you like the first one and if you like Spider-Man, you're going to enjoy this one. You know how stupid this world is with all the Spider-Mans, by the way? I saw a headline that said this is the third highest grossing opening weekend for a Spider-Man movie of all time. Yeah. Right? That's how many goddamn Spider-Man movies I mean, the, there are. The, the, the Spider-Man No Way Home, that was like the first like very big one on the back end of the pandemic. You know, like 2021, like going this right. way too. Very popular character. Yeah. I was just amused by the fact that they have a there's – a, there's now a – you could say this is the top three highest grossing Spider-Man movie of all time, and that's a good thing, yeah. right? Not like – not like because normally you think that's significantly down the list, so that's a bummer. But no, in this case, it's uh, were, apparently a good they're thing. They're showing uh, in different alternate realities different types of Spider-Man, and so in yeah. one reality, there's a horse Spider-Man. It's just like, come on, man. We're getting – We're going to look back on this sort of – fractured time in the culture the way that we have taken these all of these superhero movies and turned them into multiverse movies right so that the entire mcu is all about and this is sort of a derivative of the mcu but it's not because it's sony because sony still has some of the rights of the spider-man character like dr strange in who's Truly the culprit of this bullshit multiverse. Uh, right. Doctor Strange has a billion different universes yeah. that he operates in. Now Spider-Man operates across different universes. The Flash is about to come out with a movie uh, the, in the DC universe yeah, in which they month. travel between yeah. alternate realities and different – like this, this speaks to, I think, in a very obvious way, the – 
a totally fractured nature of current pop culture. And like it, when 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 they start writing the histories of the 20 teens and the 2020s, that will be a, a sociological lens through which they view right. it, which is that it's a, it's a, it's almost too easy. Like you can see the Chuck Klosterman articles about yeah. it, uh, it 10 years it from now. It definitely will not withstand the test of time. Yeah, I mean, it's still fun movies, yeah. though, right? Like, the Spider-Man movie is fun, and it, but because everyone's of talking about this. not because this... of the stupid gimmick. Like, they right, could have right. just played it straight, and it would have been fun. Everyone's talking about what? The the Flash is supposed to be one of the greatest oh. superhero movies ever made, apparently. That's coming out yeah. uh, in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, is that it? The only movie you saw was the Spider-Man that movie? That is it. I, I watched, uh, like, something on HBO, that uh, new show with Johnny Depp's kid, and it didn't look very good, so I'm not going to. Oh yeah, the 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 guy who did Euphoria has come out with a new show yeah, on HBO, yeah. right? It looks very Euphoria-ish, although not as good. Yeah, we watched uh, Wolf the Wolf Wall of Street. Wall Street. I had never seen the Wolf of with Wall Leo? Street, so we watched that. Yeah. Really? You never watched it before? Wow. No, no, but I've seen Goodfellas. Oh, so. Yeah. Very Goodfellas, like uh, to the point. I, I mean the. I can't even imagine – like the guy who wrote it obviously wrote it with Marty Scorsese in mind because the voiceover is in energy and sort of feel is basically it's just Goodfellas 2 almost. Right. It's like if – Goodfellas, if, which I like. Sure, if Goodfellas mixed with uh, uh, Oliver Stone Wall Street movies, yeah. right? Good uh, template for a movie, yeah. Fantastic yeah. movie. Uh, just just spectacular. Uh, and – What's funny is uh, a handful of lines have seeped their way into sort of bro-y popular culture as a result of this movie that I didn't realize had had come from. Uh, is, uh, if you're so entrenched in bro-y pop culture. Is uh, this the one with Jonah Hill? Can I always mix it? it yeah. Can you yeah. sell me this pen? Uh, is, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Great movie. I read some criticism of it that suggested that they didn't treat the main characters with enough judgment and that instead they were glorifying. And anytime I hear that complaint about these movies, like, do you, are you taking your preschool aged children to these fucking movies? Are you so morally bankrupt or, or not even morally bankrupt, but like such a child morally that you cannot abide someone just showing reality as it is or as it might have been and allowing just the presentation of it to be right. the condemnation of it you need to be told you need to make sure that the director is sitting there over your shoulder wagging his finger at these characters what the fuck yeah. is wrong with you you fucking baby the- it's obvious that these are bad people if you can't tell that these are bad people without somebody uh, like a director or a writer explaining it to you you're the problem, not the goddamn work of art. Do they want like some sort of like full house kind of setup where they there's like a lesson learned at the end? Like, all right, then that's what you should not do because yes, that's like literally some of these reviews were asking for that, and I don't understand it at all. Uh, uh I mean, Leo won the uh, Oscar for this, and I remember being sort of like both touched and also. Uh, sort of laughing at him when he gave his very sincere Oscars acceptance speech uh, just because actors are silly. Yeah. But what a, what a wonderful performance. Oh, yeah. He's great. There's a moment in it where he's meeting his future ex-mother-in-law uh, at, at his wedding. Uh, not mother-in-law, but like aunt-in-law. Yeah. The aunt-in-law, right? 
and he makes this face that he makes better than fucking anybody else in the world. And I don't have a clip pulled up, but it's a it's a chagrined you caught me not being quite fully honest, but now we share a secret face. And he does it better than anybody. And it's why he is the person that he is. It's why uh, when people talk about how my brother is charming, yep. it, is the, it is a very similar thing to the face that Leo makes there. There's a lot of Chris Howard yeah. in that movie. Yeah. But there's, there's something about the sort of we share a secret about how I'm less clean and awesome than everyone else thinks I am face that he does that he does better than anyone else and I, I, I'm not sure except where else except maybe Chris Howard right except maybe Chris <laughs> Howard uh, and I, 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 I couldn't point to where else in the Leo filmography that he's done it before Probably Gatsby but it's and... a recognizable thing that he does and he just does yeah, it so does fucking it. well yeah. and yeah uh, Margot Robbie She's great. Well, that was her breakout role, right? She's got this Barbie movie coming out this year. Was it? I think so, yeah. It's like only... Is Is that before Tanya? 13, I think. Oh, yeah, that's way after Tanya. Yeah, I, Tanya? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because I, Tanya was 2017, I think. Uh, This movie is 2013. Uh, She's great. And also, it's one of those movies where, like, Catherine Zeta-Jones in The Mask of Zorro. Yeah. uh, Peak. Just never... Will a human look better than Catherine Zeta-Jones looks in The Mask of Zorro? Uh, Margot Robbie is some sort of platonic ideal of herself in that movie. She'll never achieve it again. I'm sorry. Uh, she's going to be Barbie. I don't. Uh, it's too late. You've. It's not. Uh, this the is not a gross, horny dude assessment of this. No, it's not. It's not me being a gross dude about it. It's just that's a perfect looking example right. of a human being. Right. You don't do that again. Right. It's it's uh, Penelope Cruz in Vanilla Sky. It's uh, Salma Hayek in I don't even know what. Uh, various JPEGs on my computer in 2004. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's just sometimes you catch a person at right. the exact right time and they're never going to be able to recapture that exact moment again. Right. And I think that's her in that movie. Did we watch anything else besides that? Not really. Yeah, not really. Just been playing Zelda and think, Zelda. thinking about Little League Baseball. Uh, what is the next big HBO? The HBO is not, or Max is not convincing me that, like, I mean, it's obviously, I live with Lori, so we'll like never I've cancel been, anything. But I've been plowing through their other content, you know, discover what are that, and it, man, it is some bullshit. Like, even like regular, like, murder, you know, those A&E shows where, oh, something, right. God's been killed, his wife or whatever. But they, they do it to, ah, I don't like the way they present the information. I don't like that content. It's too much like fucking television. It's yes. awful to watch television after having watched streaming, made for streaming television now. I even watching like an episode of The X Files where they go to commercial and a thing happens and they say a line and then they have to recapitulate it's that so line yeah. on the yeah. back end of the commercial. And it's it's way worse when it's done poorly and it's always done poorly. In these garbage reality right. shows, right? right? Where they spend 45 seconds setting up the outro of the segment. And then on the front end, 
coming out of commercial. 45 more seconds setting you up again from the outro back into the intro. It's like, no, man. uh, I've been here the whole time. Why are you telling me all of this again? Just hire some lackey to to repurpose it for this environment because you can tell when they're coming out of a commercial, going into one. It's just like so bloated. Just trim the fat. Did you watch – you've been plowing through it. Did you watch any MILF Manor? (laughs) I I watched – I was I was I went to it was like raining so I was at the treadmill and I'm watching this in the tre- at the treadmill and like I stopped like halfway through because it was just like when they got to the partition and they did the big reveal I was like all right I'm gonna just stop watching. This. <laughs> that was a good decision. Yeah. Uh, all right, I think that's all we've got for tonight. Abe, have you got anything else for us tonight? Nope. Well, I guess that's all we've got for tonight then, and we will talk to you next time. Later. Hey, it's Tucker Carlson. So really, once the facts start coming, it becomes much less of a mystery what might have happened to the dam. Any fair person would conclude that the Ukrainians probably blew it up. We know this from the American media which wasted no time this morning in accusing the Russians of sabotaging their own infrastructure. Bill Kristol, the man who once told us that Saddam Hussein was responsible for 9-11, immediately denounced Putin as a war criminal and even more savagely compared him to Donald Trump. The U.S. has intelligence that is leaning toward Russia as the perpetrator of the attack, according to two U.S. officials and one Western official. But no final determination yet. We cannot say conclusively what happened at this point. What we absolutely can say is that the damage to the Ukrainian people and to the region will be significant. Ukraine pointing the finger directly at Moscow. President Zelensky calling it a terrorist attack and a war crime, saying tonight up to 80 Ukrainian villages could be at risk. Russian state media first denied, then blamed Ukraine. We know this from the American media. After a major dam burst, both Ukrainian and Russian officials are blaming each other for sabotaging the dam, triggering catastrophic floods. CBS's Deborah Pata is in Ukraine with more on this humanitarian an ecological disaster. We know this from the American media. Moscow accusing Ukraine of blowing up its own dam, but Ukrainians who are now losing their homes to the floodwaters, blaming Russian forces. We know this from the American media. Bill Crystal. We know this from the American media. Bill Crystal. We know this from the American media. Bill Crystal. A smile spreads across his thin, quivering lips as he forms the words. He looks like a starving man contemplating a breakfast buffet. The aroma of death has aroused Lindsey Graham. Just two middle-aged guys celebrating the killing of a population. Now we know. UFOs are actually real. Back when they still taught logic, that's what the former intel officer revealed, and it was clear he was telling the truth. In other words, UFOs are actually real, and apparently so is extraterrestrial life. Now we know. Back when they still taught logic, now we know. An alien species is flying hypersonic aircraft over our cities. Back when they still taught logic, that's what the former intel officer revealed, and it was clear he was telling the truth. Now we know. Go eat each other. That's how most of us now live here in the United States. Manipulated by lies, silenced by taboos. It is unhealthy and it's dehumanizing, and we're tired of it. Hey, it's Tucker Carlson. It is unhealthy and it's dehumanizing.
The proceeding was created with 100% human content.